Good morning. So, I'm going to be exploring God's grace. What it is, there's, there's many schools of thought about what God's grace is exactly, um, what shape it is, and more specifically, I'm going to be looking at the limits of God's grace. Does it have a limit? Or maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Let's have a look at that. So I'm going to start by looking at the definition of grace as in standard dictionary. Uh, this is a shortened version. It's the free, unmerited favour of God. Sounds quite simple, doesn't it? And I really want to pick up on the word free here, because that's going to be a reoccurring word in the message I bring today. Grace is it's free because we can't earn it. God is he's a supreme being. He's so far above who we are, there's nothing we can do to possibly earn the favour of God in any way. We're, we're just humans. We're not very good at it. So it has to be free. And it is free, which is very cool. So I'm going to ask the question, does grace cover all sins? It's a big question. And I stand here as someone who's, I've, I've sinned in my life. Um, badly. And I would imagine, I'm not going to ask people to put their hands up, but I imagine if I was to say, put your hand up, who's sinned really badly, a good number of people go, yeah, actually, I've done that. And we represent planet Earth, don't we? We represent uh, human beings, and we're, we're really, really good at sinning. We're excellent at it. But maybe there's some sins that... You know, it's just too bad. Let, let's explore that. Uh, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Whew. Well, that's a good start. Isn't it? That's a really good start because immediately that's like, it's a flat playing field. We've all, we're all stuffed up, really, haven't we? We've all sinned and we all fall short of God. Thank goodness for that. We're all in the same boat. And we continue. All are justified freely. That's that word again, freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So here we are, we're in the same boat, we're a bit rubbish, or a bit expert at singing, and it doesn't matter whether you're a really, really bad sinner or not. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short, and it's covered by Jesus. So, so far, the question, does grace cover all sin, is looking pretty good. Let's look at a few more. But where sin has increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, also grace might reign through righteousness and bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the way I picture this is our sin is like a, it's like a fast car, isn't it? Sometimes it's a bit hard to tame this car, but it doesn't matter because the motor car of grace is actually faster, bigger, Bigger engine, bigger tires than our sin, and however badly we sin, the grace of God is bigger than our own sin. So again, looking at this verse, does grace cover all sin? Looks like it. Let's look at the third one. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely, freely, that's that word again, freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption for his blood and the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. I picked this verse because look at those last two words, 
the riches of God's grace that he's lavished upon us. Wow. What an awesome God we've got. His grace is massive. And it seems that when you ask this question, does grace cover all sin? The answer is a big fat yes. It doesn't matter how disgusting we feel, how low we've got with God. We can be forgiven. But what if you change the question? Does grace cover everybody? So if we explore that question, then we start to see that maybe there are some boundaries to grace. Maybe there is some limitation. Let's look at a couple of verses. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, I've included the first sentence there just for context. It's the last bit I want to to focus on. You have fallen away from grace. This is... Paul, writing a letter to the Galatians, he's challenging them. He's saying, you've fallen away. So it seems that it is possible for a person to step outside of grace. But what I want to point out here is there's nothing about this verse that suggests that God's grace has been taken away, that it's less or it's been extracted in any way. The onus is on the individual. It's the individual who has stepped away or fallen away from grace by their actions. Let's have a look at another verse. Again, pointing out the same sort of thing, really. Make every effort to live in peace with everybody and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it, no one falls short of the grace of God. Again, we're seeing some sort of boundary here where... The, the person hasn't attained grace. And if you're really paying attention, you might say to me, hang on, James, the verse you've just put up there doesn't agree with what I've, what I've already said. Because I said at the start that we cannot attain grace ourselves. We cannot attain the status of getting to heaven ourselves without God's help. That's why he provides grace for free. Um, But this verse says that we've got to make an effort. So how can we make an effort for something that we can't actually do ourselves? So for this, I want to um, do an illustration. And let's just pretend that the sound desk behind you guys is God's throne room. It is heaven. And there's three guys up there representing the Trinity. Fantastic. (laughs) And, And they're waving at us. And you guys... You are floor is lava, or there is a chasm between myself, and I'm representing the human race here on earth. And there's God in his holy, holy temple. And I'm like, oh, God, I I, I can't reach him. I I can't do it in my own strength. Um, But that's okay, because as I've said, we have a loving God, mighty loving God. And although he's in heaven, He loves us. He loves his creation, planet Earth. And he pours out. He pours out his love and his grace upon us. And and me as an individual, uh, maybe I've got some bad sins, but maybe I can go right to the back of the stage, possibly representing being very sinful. But it's okay because God's grace 
comes and it whacks full power um, to me on planet Earth. And that's okay. I'm in God's grace. And it doesn't matter whether I'm here or there, I'm, I'm in, in God's grace. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to divide the stage and the lectern is going to be the division. So let's just say when I'm on this side of the lectern, I'm doing it God's way. I'm saying yes to God and I'm obeying God. Maybe I get distracted and maybe I wander over here and my focus is, is not so much on God, but it's on something else. Perhaps the focus is on me and I've actually stepped away from being obedient to God and putting him as number one. I'm stepping over here. Perhaps I'm trusting more in myself, trusting more of the world. And I've walked outside of grace by doing that because Jesus says that we should obey his commands and his commands are to serve God and to love God as number one. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, I'm just going to stop there in terms of where this, this boundary is between obeying God and then walking over here and out, walking outside of God's grace. So I'm going to explore that later on. Right. So I want to ask the question, has this call to remain obedient to God and holy to God, is that a new Jesus thing? Is it only 2,000 years old? Or does this call to be set aside for God, does it go back further than that? Of course it does. It goes, it's written throughout the Bible. And I just want to give an example of an Old Testament scripture where it's exactly the same situation. God is calling us to be holy, to obey him. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighbouring peoples with their detestable practices. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. All the leaders and the officials have led this way in this unfaithfulness. Do you want to pick up on that? All the leaders and the officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. And then everyone who trembled at the words of God gathered around me. And again, I want to pick up on that bit. There's people that got it, and there's people that didn't get it. And the people that understood the importance of putting God as number one, they were the ones that got it, and they, everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. So you, you see, it's always been there. And what I want to try to get across this morning is the, how vital it is that we live that life and don't get distracted, even as leaders do, into the worldly stuff. It's, it's our choice. Do we choose to follow? and obey God, or do we choose to follow other things and walk outside of God's will? I'm trying to make this really black and white, this picture, deliberately so, 
So I'm going to prep a verse, which is extremely black and white, and I've even color-coded it to draw out the, the separation between obeying God and not obeying God. Romans 6. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of, those things resulting in death? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's really black and white, isn't it? It's really easy. Isn't it obvious? Choose God, right? When you look at verses like this, why would you choose to do worldly stuff? The God's way is so much easier um, than doing the world's way. But of course, it's not like that, is it? In reality, we, in reality, we have hearts, emotions, and we have minds that wander off. And we live in a world which is not interested in God. We live in a world that's interested in itself and worldly desires. So as we live in the soup of the world, we have a logical choice, but actually we wonder. And I just want to give an example in my own life of, of when I wondered and how easy that was to do. Because we live in the world, it's so easy to, to go off course. This was, of course, every, we all have our journeys with Jesus, don't we? We have our ups and downs. And I probably had a, quite a low down in the late noughties. I, can, uh, I had a realisation, I was at church, it wasn't this church, and it was just an ordinary service, and I found myself, I wasn't, my hands were not crossed, my arms were not crossed, but my heart was hard, really, really hard, and I sat there at church, and I was in massive judgement of church, and I can really remember sitting there going, the worship was rubbish, absolutely rubbish. I didn't say it out loud, it was in my heart. And every, every part of the, the service was rubbish. I think they still had the old OHP, do you remember those, those things? Very manual, weren't they? You'd have a faithful person moving the words up and down. And I looked at this and went, it's rubbish. Come on, get with the times, get some projectors. And I'd got to such a place of judgment, suddenly it clicked. I was like, oh, what have I become? What have I become? And I realised as I sat in judgment, I was exactly the same as the Pharisees and the experts of the law in, the, in Jesus' day. These were the guys that they knew all about the law. They were the experts. And then Jesus came proclaiming good news, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And they were like, what's this? Who are you? Um, and, and God is always outside our, our expectations. And they sat in judgment with Jesus. And it was these guys that eventually crucified him. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was in church, judging the church. And it's hard to explain. that I'm trying to tell you what my state of heart was like. And this was just an outward sign. Uh, but actually, this was a much bigger representation of where I'd got to um, in my life. It wasn't just about that Sunday morning. It was a, it was a journey at that time. And I found that I'd focused on the world. And specifically, I'd focused on wanting to get rich, or at least richer. Uh, I'm only a plumber, I'm never going to get super rich. Um, but my heart, my heart was after the riches of the world. And I didn't realise it. 
I drifted slowly away from God. And I woke up and I was like, in those days I wasn't happy. Somewhere, I, I was on the surface, but somewhere in here I wasn't happy. And I didn't know it. That's the thing, I didn't know it. But it's only when I look at the joy and the peace that I have in me now today as I really focus on God and I look back at those days and go, I wasn't really getting it right. But while I was in it, I didn't recognise it. So now that I've shamed myself and telling you how terrible I am or was, um, I'd like to remind you I'm just human and this is exactly what I'm talking about, how weak we are. I'm now going to share a positive story to make you feel better about me. <laughs> and uh, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, have I shared this story with you before? And I've got such a terrible memory, I don't know. But I'm going to share it again anyway, because it's a good story. And it's, a, it's the opposite. It's Ten years ago, I'd show, I drifted. This is a story of me going, yes, to God, and the results of that. And it's simply, the summer of 2016, um, God said to me very clearly, he'd want me to give up a day's work for him and to work less. So I'm self-employed, working five days a week. God's saying to me, work four days a week and give up a day for prayer, etc. And there was this battle in my heart because immediately the human flesh side of me says, hang on, I'll be earning less money. And as I'd been transitioning from 10 years ago till now, God has been dealing with the worship of money and the worship of worldly thing. It's a journey. It's a slow thing. And this was one of the big moments on that journey between then and now. And God is saying, will you give up earning that one-fifth of a day, one-fifth of a week for me, to spend time with me? And I was th it didn't take long for me to think this because my, my heart is, God, I will obey you. And I heard clearly. So I worried about the money, but I said, okay, I'll do this, God. And since then, I've worked four days a week. It's really nice. <laughs> I'd really recommend it. But the, the point I want to make is also since then, um, I've made, earned more money in four days than I used to earn in five days. And that kind of picks up on what we've been listening to the last couple of weeks, uh, the, the maths of, of heaven. It's like earthly calculators don't work with kingdom maths. It's doesn't how there was provision for me to work less days and I'm better off for it and ironically now that I've focused on God I have more money than I used to have 10 years ago when I was focusing on money not that I care about the money I care about God but when you give God everything or as much as you can the other things follow we have a, going back to the word choice, it is basically comes down to this, we can, we can choose the world. The, the Bible says we can only serve one master. We can choose the world, but then we lose out on God. Or we can choose, what, would you want to lose out on God? I wouldn't recommend it. Or we can choose God to serve him and deny the world. It's really difficult. I've put up there that verse that's really black and white. It's actually incredibly difficult to serve God because we live in the world. 
But I promise you, from experience, I've given you one example, I promise you, when you serve God and deny the world, you get the world anyway. You get what you need. It's, it's that weird kingdom maths thing again. But that the world is a created object. Let's not worship the created. Let's worship and serve the creator. And the stuff of the world that we need comes anyway. I've done quite well about looking at my notes. I need to look at them now. Okay. How easy is it? Difficult. How important is it? How important is it to seek God? Um, I'm going to go back to the illustration of the lecture, and I'm going to move the lecture around because there's different schools of thought on what grace is and how far grace goes. So I'll slide it over here. And by doing this, this, the, the ease of which I can walk out of God's grace is much easier. I've shrunk the grace bit to a really narrow part of the stage. And if I make a tiny error in my walk with God, uh-oh, I'm a sinner, I've walked out of God's will. And if you have that school of thought, and there are verses that will back this sort of school of thought up, if you have that school of thought, there is a danger that you will live a really legalistic way with God. And it's, it's about a relationship with Christ, isn't it? It's not about law. But if you shrink the grace too much, you get so concerned, it can become law-like. Um, a verse that might back that up, because there are verses that support different views. Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. These are heavy, heavy words, aren't they? But let's slide the lecture this way. Change the theology of the Bible. And have a drink. A bit more. Wow. God's grace is awesome, isn't it? His grace is all-powerful. He's a loving God. I can do what I like. I, I can sin a bit. It's okay. I can, well, I've gone a bit further. And there's verses like this. My grace is sufficient. And there's lots of verses that talk about how powerful God's grace is. But his grace is not to be abused. I'm going to... I didn't write this down. I was thinking about it as I was preparing. And I'll read out a, um, a verse from Jude which warns against this sort of thing. Jude 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. Changed the grace of God into a license for morality. That is not what it's about. Where should I put the lectern? I'm going to put it in the middle because it's the best place to preach from. I don't know. Because there are verses that talk about different sides of the spectrum. I'm going to leave that specific question with you. But my recommendation is we don't actually know exactly where the boundaries of grace are. So my recommendation is that we walk over here. Not in a legalistic way, it's a relationship. We're loved by God. But why would we want 
to have anything to do with the world. I'm going to go back to that verse. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? What benefit do we have of chasing the world? It doesn't do us any good. So continuing with the question of how important is it to seek God, I want to point out a really, really big word in the Bible. And it's everywhere. And we seem to gloss over it. And the word is if. It gets really big if you change the font size to 200. (laughs) It's everywhere. And sometimes it's written as if, the word if, and sometimes it's disguised, it comes in different forms, but it's still the word if. And I think as humans, we're really good at ignoring the if. I've pointed this out before and people go, I never noticed that. And there's so many verses in the Bible that have if, and we kind of ignore it. So I'm going to demonstrate a few. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. Hooray! But I've left out the if, and we kind of ignore that bit. Let me add the if. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Let's not ignore the ifs. The call of God is for us to remain holy and serve him, not to wander off over there. Another one. But Christ, the son of, but Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house. If we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. And another one. We have come to share in the Christ, if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. And there's another one, and this is an example of if in a different form. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Do you see this? And this is a repeated thing again and again in the Bible, that we are to stand firm and serve Christ. Whizzing through my notes now. Okay. Here's the good news. The good news is, I don't know if you've noticed, throughout my preach, I've been using the word choice. We have a choice. And we have a loving God. Do we choose Christ? Or do do we not choose Christ? It's really simple simple as that. And all of us here, hopefully, have breath in our lungs. And while we have breath in our lungs... We have that choice how to live out our lives. Do we get deceived and sucked into the world or do we focus and choose God? We're going to, um, I'm going to end there and we're going to worship. So if I can ask the band to come up. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite those of you who recognize how tempting the world is and how easy it is to slip into the world to stand up, and I'll pray for you. And if you feel like you've slipped, even by a small amount, I just invite you to stand, and then I'll, then I'll pray. What, has no one slipped? <laughs> That's it. Thank you for being honest, guys. It's so easy to slip, isn't it? Father, 
we choose to focus on you. We choose to focus on you, not just today, but day after day for the rest of our lives. And we stand here before you, Lord, declaring that we put you as number one and declaring that we are weak. We're human beings and we are so weak, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us, empower us to serve you and to focus on you alone. What a mighty, mighty God you are. What a mighty God you are. The free, unmerited favour of God. Free for the taking, free for every individual here on planet Earth. Thank you, God. Amen.